home. My name is PT. You can call me Pastor Tony or PT, whatever the one's cool. Uh, welcome to our service. Glad to have you guys. Uh, we are in the series called uh, Christmas Unwrapped. Christmas Unwrapped. It is a, it's a series designed with an intention in mind. You know, every year, every year during the season, you know, I, I, uh, I try not to be a Scrooge about it, but sometimes it just kind of comes up really as we engage in the season of uh, Christmas, you know, we get the, the garlands are up, the lights are up, it's pretty, the, the, the season is cute, and it's warm and fuzzy, and all that good stuff, right? And, and the weather seems perfect for it, and we'll put on our, um, our cold uh, well, uh, winter jackets or winter clothing, and then we have, uh, you know, Coast 103.5 playing Christmas songs 24 hours a day, you know, like, it's, it's just this kind of, like, kind of mood that they put you in, and oftentimes we... I get it because it kind of associates yourself with, you know, family, time off work, uh, being nice to each other. You know, we have a lot of good associations with it. But it's sad sometimes because during this Christmas season, we, we tend to forget the main reason, the main purpose behind it. Right? We tend to uh, displace the one who the season is really made for. And so this, this, this series is kind of designed for that. It's designed to bring us back to kind of the Christmas mindset Remembering why we do what we do. Remember what's the whole point of, whole purpose of all of this is, you know? So let me start with the story real fast. Um, the story is, last Thanksgiving, or the week before Thanksgiving, I was, uh, I was volunteering at my son's school, a Patton Elementary School. Anybody went to Patton Elementary School here? Patton, yeah, Patton Elementary School, I went there. Uh, when I say I volunteered, what I meant was my wife volunteered me to be there, right? So I got there, and it was their Thanksgiving party. It was pretty cute, you know, like they divide half the class up. The kids went outside, half of them made like the pilgrim's hat, the other half made the Indian hat, and they kind of drew on what they were thankful for, and they came in, took pictures. It was really cute. A lot of parents came out to help that day. My job was trying to help put the tables together and put the food uh, out there and test everything up. And so when the kids came back in, you know, the teacher sat them down and was kind of like giving them instructions on how to really uh, appreciate this party well. And it was really sweet. They're really like instructions to t- tell them about manners, like, hey, if you good food and you don't want a certain thing, just say no thank you, right? Don't say no or don't be rude about it. And if you like it, just say, you know, yes, please, you know, please and thank you. They were very, very good about um, those manner, mannerism, you know? And she said, when you guys all get to the table, what should you do first? And it was really cute. This little, this little small short girl, she just piped out, pray to Jesus for Thanksgiving, right? And then it was hilarious because, like, um, I was like, yeah. Actually, I was annoyed. I was annoyed that Seth didn't say it first. But I was like, all right, I get it. Whatever, you know. And the teacher, but right after she said that, that little girl piped up and she said it, the teacher was like, oh, no, no, no. She looked over and all the parents got kind of freaked out a little bit. And she said, oh, no, 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 not, not that, right. We, we went, we're going to sit down and wait for everyone to sit down first. And then we're going to eat, you know. I was like, but then Seth looked at me. He was like, he was like all confused. And I, was, I gave him a little wink. like, yes, lad. You better pray, fool, right? You know? <laughs> and, but it was, it was such an interesting contrast because it, it reminded me 30 years ago, 30 years ago when I was in elementary school. I know it's such a long time, 30 years. Three decades ago when I was in elementary school, I remember we were sitting down uh, for reading time with our teacher, Ms. Gullich, our second grade. I remember her only because of this situation, okay? Ms. Gullich, I sat down, and she said, do you guys know why we celebrate Christmas? You know, and, and I was like, you know, pagan Buddhist. I was like, uh, Santa Claus, you know, gifts. And then all the other kids were chiming in for the typical things you say during Christmas, family, right? And then this is like, 
little white boy, freckled face, red hair, looked like he has an eight a day. You know those boogers driving around. It's like one of those kids, like, and, and he's always like the one that answers every question wrong, but he's like always piping up, and like no one expects him to say anything correct, right? And all of a sudden he just raises his hand, goes all crazy. Miss Gullish uh, called him and said, Michael, what do you want? Right? Oh, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, Michael, please give us the answer. It's Jesus' birthday, right? And she said, that's right. And I was like, who? Right? Like, whose birthday? You know, I was like, who's Jesus? Miss Gullish, she said, like, oh, Jesus is the son of God. I'm like, what? Right? I was like, she's like, yeah, God, I was like, God, who's God? He's like, the one who made everyone, the one who made all of creation. He's there, you know, and he gave us his son for, his, for, for Christmas. I was like, what? Where is God? She's like, oh, that's a really hard question to answer right now. But, you know, I just want you guys to know that this season is when we celebrate Christmas, which is the birthday of Jesus Christ. And I, I remember that so clearly because I think that was the first time I heard the name Jesus, right? But secondly, I, I, I remember that as I was writing this message because how, how far 30 years have gone, right? 30 years passed, and the mention of Jesus' name during the season of Thanksgiving or even the season of Christmas is taken out, taken out of our school system. I'm, I'm pretty sure she didn't get fired for it, but I, I'm sure a lot of teachers now are afraid of that, right? Not mixing uh, Jesus or religion into the church or the school, and 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 it kind of it kind of bothers me, and, that, and that's the reason I think Christmas bothers me a lot because oftentimes in a season where we're celebrating something that's unbelievable that happened, we take out the very foundation of why we're celebrating it, and we kind of fill it in with other things to kind of you know cover up the season, and so this this series was developed or at least written with the heart and mind, hey. Let's put Jesus back into the season. Let's, let's remind ourselves that as we are celebrating, as we're having time with our friends and family, as we're doing gift exchange, as we're doing Santa, Secret Santa, White Elephant, as we're going out shopping, as we're putting up decorations, let's remember the beauty and the power of what this season meant. Because if you understand what this season is about, it has the power to literally transform your life. And it's not just a season where you're putting up a front and you're just enjoying presence of people and just kind of being happy with each other and then regretting all the stuff you paid for in January because your credit card's all maxed out, right? But it's a season where you're actually grateful, thankful, season where you're giving, season where you're living in actual humility, okay? Because that's my heart and that's my prayer. And so in the book of John, uh, what we see is a, a picture of John sharing about the, the gospel of Jesus, the story of Jesus, but he shares the reason why Christmas is happening. He gives the, the meaning behind Christmas versus just telling us what happened during Christmas. Mark and Luke, the, uh, Matthew and, and Luke, the other two guys who wrote about the accounts of Jesus' life, they talked about what happened. We got the manger story, we got the angels, we got the shepherds. All that stuff was found in Matthew and uh, Luke, but in John, we get the why. Why did the baby come? Why is he here? Why is God on earth? And I want to make sure you guys understand the why Clarify the why before we understand and what we do the what. You guys get me? Okay? Clarify the why. So open your Bibles to John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. 43 to 51. Give me some WD-40 on that door. John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. Listen now as I read the word of God to you, my brothers and sisters. This is, uh, this is Jesus calling his disciples and his specific encounter with uh, his, one of his disciples named Nathaniel, otherwise known as Bartholomew. Okay, a very specific uh, encounter. 
that really lays down the picture of why Christmas, okay? Verse 43, check this out. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I'll tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Bow our heads, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word today. And as we come and as we approach it, as we open it, as we just dive into it, would you give us the wisdom and the power of this truth? Help us, Lord God, to, to see Christmas and the season of Advent, Lord, the season of you coming here as something more than just family time, as something more than just uh, warm feelings and fuzzy uh, warmth, Lord God, but there be a season where we are grateful and thankful for who you are and what you've done. Give us, Father God, this moment, your presence. Illuminate, Father, our minds that we may hear and see and know the word and may it speak deeply into our hearts bringing change and transformation to who we are. We thank you, God. We praise you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to start with uh, verse uh, 47. Okay. It was when Nathaniel came and he's about to meet Jesus. Verse 47. We're going to see this kind of like interaction here. Okay. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Pretty much he's saying, this is the man of God. This is someone who will obey God when the situation calls for him to obey God. This is a man that's actually following after the Lord. Verse 48, he said, well, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked, like, how do you know? Like, you don't know me, but how do you know me, right? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, there's something very specific about this statement because after Jesus said this, Nathaniel basically said, you are the son of God, right? Pretty much it's like this. Commentator said Nathaniel was probably under the fig tree somewhere far where Jesus didn't know where he was, couldn't have known where he was. He was sitting there and he was probably praying. And in his prayer, he was probably asking, God, may I know you. God, may I be part of the generation that actually sees the coming of your anointed one. God, may I see who you are. Would you know me? Know my heart that I am honest and want to follow you and want to do this work that you are calling us to do. He was probably praying that prayer as Philip came to him and said, come, we found him. Who? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And so when Jesus saw him, he says, here's a man of God. He says, how do you know me? Because I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. I saw you and you were there. Whatever he was doing, whatever Nathaniel was doing, it was enough that when Jesus said that statement, for Nathaniel to say this. Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open 
and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is, it seems a very like a poetic line, but this is, has, has a lot of power. There's a lot of weight to this line that he just said. You shall see the, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. When he said that, automatically Nathaniel is taken to Genesis chapter 28, verse 12, where the context of that message is. Okay? We understand that, that theme. The heavens open. We understand why Christmas is, what Christmas is about. Today, I want to share with you guys just one statement, and that's pretty much the summary of Christmas is this, okay? The heaven is open, heaven open for those who are humbled. The heaven are opened for those who have been humbled. That is the basic story of Christmas. The heaven have been opened for those who have been humbled. So check this out. What was Jesus trying to tell Nathaniel in this statement? What was Jesus trying to show Nathaniel about who he was in this statement? Go to Genesis chapter 28. If you guys can put it up there too, Genesis chapter 28, verses 12. This is the story of a man named Jacob who was part of the line of Abraham who was given the promise of God that one day through this line, the anointed one will come, the Lord will come, okay? And Jacob, he was the younger brother of two, of two, of two sons. He was a younger brother. He had no birthright. The birthright was given to his older brother, Esau. Esau, if you guys have ever been in the church long enough, it was a story about the guy with all the hurt furry arms, hairy arms, right? And he, he sold his birthright to Jacob. So after Jacob stole Esau's birthright, he had to run away. He, he swindled his brother's birthright. He manipulated, he hustled, he lied to his father. And finally, he had to run away in disgrace because they were coming to kill him. They were coming to hunt him down. Here was a cheat, here was a swindler, here was a man whom no one respected, who himself probably didn't respect himself. He was a nobody before God. And yet, in this moment, Genesis 28, verse 12, as he's running, he's tired. He finally decided, I'm just going to sit in the middle of the wilderness. I'm going to put my head down on a rock. I'm just going to sleep. And in the moment that happened, he saw a vision. Verse 12, this is what it says. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This is the same the same verse that Jesus just quoted to Nathaniel, okay? Very similar to the same verse that he just quoted to Nathaniel. He saw the heavens open, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on this stairway. What does this mean, okay? Jacob saw this picture. Now, this, this stairway is not a ladder. Some people say it's a ladder. It's not a ladder. It's an actual stairway. It's like a ramp. It's like this ginormous staircase that just reaches to the heavens and it comes down and touches earth from heaven to earth and on this stairway were the hosts of God the angels of God and when the angels of God showed up it is not like the hallmark picture of angels which is the like Enoch chubby face with wings dancing on the cloud I don't know where they got the picture of those angels from that is never found in the Bible I've never seen chubby angels in the Bible that's cute and and cute right the picture of angels in the Bible has always been messengers heralds always been a military picture it is supposed to represent the might and the power of God. And so what Jacob was seeing was heaven was opening up and the might and the power of God was ascending and descending upon earth. It was a majestic picture. It was, it was, it was, a, um, it was this, 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 this show of might. So when, you, when he saw it, it must have blown his brain out of, the, out of the water because it was just so unbelievable to see this happening. The Bible says this is the host of God. He is the Lord of hosts. This is the heavenly host, which God is Lord of. And so Jacob sees this, 
And it's not this angel picture. Let me show you what it looks like. Come on. Uh, I was inspired during the youth group because it just came to my brain, the, the illustration. I, 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 um, I asked them to put this video up. You guys ever seen the Lord of the Rings when um, the, the, the elves march into Helm's Deep? Am I the only nerd that understood that, right? Am I, anyway, the love Lord of the Rings. This is the one scene I want you guys to see. This is very much what it was. It was a military picture that Jacob was seeing. It wasn't some fuzzy, fubby, chubby kid up and down the stairs flying, you know. It is a military thing that's happening. Can you guys put that up? We have trusted you this far. You have not led us astray. Forgive me. I was wrong to despair. We had time. I get this adjusted. It's a little tight across the chest. That is no Orkor. Ascending and descending, it was a picture of a military movement. It represented the might and power of God himself, right? And what this meant for Jacob, what Jacob, when he saw this, what, this, what God was trying to tell Jacob is this. I have business to do on earth. My business, I have come to earth to finish some business. And not only am I going to do some business, I'm going to do it through you, Jacob. I'm going to do my work through you, Jacob, into your life. I, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven, my power, my might, my majesty, whom you would die if you would see my face, I have come to earth to do work in you. How is that possible? And I know that you guys are like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I mean, like having a bunch of angels walk, that sounds pretty like, seems very powerful. But I don't think you guys understand the majesty of this enough. If I give you an, a, a, a picture like this, if I give you an example, if there was a seraphim, right, which is a, a, a type of angel, and I show them right here before you, in your presence here in this place, the Bible says every time an angel show itself up to man, the man never said, wow, you're so cute, right? The angel always said one thing first. He says, fear not. Because this presence of an angel was so glorious, so unbelievable, it left the person that was seeing it on their knees trembling in fear and frailty. That's the majesty of an angel before man. And if I ask you, if I, if I ask you a question, hey, this angel, if I compared it to a single-cell amoeba underneath your refrigerator, I ask you, which of these two things is closer to God's presence? The answer would be neither. The angels who sing before the very face of God, who dance, who, who, whose, eyes, who, whose wings cover their eyes, to, with wings cover their, their feet, with wings they fly, and with mouth they declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If I ask you which of those two, an amoeba or an angel, was closer to the presence of God 
The answer is neither, because why? Both of those things are still created beings, and they exist because God wanted them to exist. They live and they breathe because of the desire of God. And if you were to fall before an angel, how much more would you fall before God? See, when we have this kind of audacity, this pride, this kind of sense of, oh, cool, I can show up to God because he loves me. I can show up to God because he's great. He desires me. The reality is if, you, if he was to show himself to you, you would die. That's how great the presence of God is. And I don't need to... I don't need to tell you this. You understand this naturally. Let me tell you why. If you stood next to someone who was really, really, really tall, how would you feel? Pretty short, right? You would feel, if you were in the presence of someone that's extremely tall, you would feel extremely short in comparison to him. If you stood someone who, stood next to someone who was really, really smart, how would you feel sitting next to them? Pretty dumb. You're thinking, no, you don't feel dumb. Let me tell you an example of when I felt really dumb, okay? Like, Unbelievably dumb. Like Masa threw an apologetic seminar this past year, okay? And they, they asked Dr. Wittenhouse uh, to come. He's like an apologetic uh, teacher at Biola University. An apologetic dude. The, mo- the, the homie can quote like any book possible, right? And they got me and Pastor Bumble to be up there to help give this seminar, okay? And I'm sitting next to him, and as he's talking, I'm like, oh, my Lord, why am I here, right? Uh, I should not talk because the more I talk, the dumber I think I'm going to sound, right? Like, the more, I, the more I listen to him, I'm like, oh, okay. He just quoted from that book. I should quote from a book, too, but I don't know any books to quote from. Like, what am I going to do? I'm screwed. I'm, like, Googling it up there. Like, oh, yeah, in this book that I read two days ago, right, or right now, you know, like, you feel pretty dumb when you sit next to someone who is really great, right? If you, if you stood someone who was really... Um, awesome, you would feel pretty useless, right? Now imagine this. Now imagine you, you're before someone who's infinite, infinite in power and might and majesty, whose beauty and goodness outshines all things. But you stood before this. How would you stand in comparison? It will, it will break your spirit. It will, it will blow your, you will go mad with insanity, Right? You will go mad with the apprehension of your own personal evil, your own personal wickedness, before someone this good. And so the question is, why did God make, how was God able to connect to Jacob? The heavens open, stairway from heaven to earth, the might and power of God ascending and descending, saying that my work is going to be done on earth, and it's going to be done through you, Jacob, the swindler, the liar, the cheat, the one who messed up his family, the one who's running away, the one who's such a coward, couldn't stand up. Why would God do that? How could God do that before a presence of a man like this? How is it even possible the might of heaven can reach earth? And be open to Jacob. How? And the answer was given by Jesus to Nathaniel. Let's go back to, to John again. Book of John, it says this. It says, verse 5. I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on what? On what? What does it say? You guys have the Bible? On, on the Son of Man. In Genesis 28, verse 12, it says the stairway was open from heaven to earth. And the angels of God were descending and ascending on it. 
What is the it that Jesus is saying? The only way that heaven can touch earth is when they ascend on me. The way that I can do work in you, the way that the glory of heaven, the majesty of heaven, the power of heaven, the might of heaven can even come to this place, is because it's in me. I am the one that is going to make a way. I am the one that allows for God's presence, his actual presence, to be with you. You Jacobs who've messed up your life. You Jacobs who swindled, who lied. You Jacobs who lived in pride. You Jacobs who pretend that you're something when you're really nothing. You Jacob who've lost everything. You Jacobs. I have business to do with you, and the only way that God's presence can come to you, his business to you, is through me. I am the stairway. I am the bridge. I am the way maker. It's in me that God can be with you. What is Christmas, guys? The heavens have opened. Christmas is saying something unbelievable. That a God that you can't possibly ever touch or reach, that a God that you can't ever possibly imagine, that a God that you can't even stand before, has made his business with you. How? Through Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ. You know, when Moses asked God, show me your glory, I want to see you. God says, I can only let you see a part of me. That alone will probably mess you up. And it did. Right? God literally just like did a little like sidewalk. And he just saw like God from a, like, a, like a glance. And that was enough to shine Moses' face so much that his people had to be like, hey, this, you got to cover that up. We can't even look at you. It's like staring into the sun. That's how crazy even that glimpse of God had did what did to Moses, let alone the very presence of God. And so when you guys are sitting here and you're asking, can I actually encounter God? Can I actually reach heaven? Can God, can heaven really hear my cry? And the answer is yes. Yes, it can, but only because Jesus Christ, the bridge, the way maker. It's only through him. So what is Christmas? Christmas should never be taken Christ should never be taken out of Christmas. There's no way that you can engage in a season like this and negate the very fact of the one who made heaven tangible to you. Jesus is not just some dude that's a nice teacher, a nice scholar, a nice philosopher. He is who he says he is, and he is the one that has made the bridge from heaven to earth. But here's the question. Is the heavens open for anyone? Is it open for anyone? To anyone? Is God's work going to be done in everyone? Is it meant for everyone? The answer is no. Because remember the phrase I told you? The heavens have opened for those who have been humbled. Those who have been humbled. Now how does this passage talk about humility? Look at Nathaniel. When Philip called Nathaniel in verse um, <clears throat> 45, Look at Nathaniel's reaction to where uh, Nathaniel's reaction when he found out where Jesus was from. Verse forty-five. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, "We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about the whom the prophets also wrote. This, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Anointed. We have found the one who is going to save Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph." His response was, "Nazareth? Can anything good come from there?" Nathaniel asked. The reason why Nathaniel was so skeptical 
The reason why he was so doubtful when Philip said um, who Jesus was about uh, being the Messiah is because Philip said Jesus was from Nazareth. Some of you guys are thinking, what's so bad about Nazareth, okay? Nazareth was equivalent. The best equivalent I can give you about Nazareth is this. It's like the, the backwater, bayou, ghetto, redneck, dueling banjo country. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where have you guys been to um, Disneyland? You guys been to Disneyland? Right? You guys been to uh, Pirates of the Caribbean ride? Yeah, I love that ride, right? Before you go down that first fall, right, there's that dude sitting on that, the waterfront. He's at that little house. He's like kind of like ding, 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 playing his little banjo. He's like, pirates are coming here. You know, like you know, stuff like that. You know, like, this is pirates country. You know, like he's like he's missing a tooth. And he has like the straw in his mouth. It's like banjo playing, right? That's Nazareth. That's what Nazareth represented. It was this backwards, bywater, bayou country with a bunch of weird people who intermarried, right, who were not that smart. They married their cousins. It's like really one of those weird places. And so Nathaniel was like, what? The Savior of the world, the, the Lord of heaven is from there? What good can come from there? And yet God came from there. And you know why? Because that's the Christmas, that's the Christmas motif. It's about the picture of humility. God didn't come as a general or a philosopher. He came as a son of a carpenter. God didn't come as a prominent, successful uh, person in a rich family. He came into the life of a poor family. He was born and he was placed in a feeding trough because they could not uh, find a place to actually have a proper um, uh, birthing. They had to actually do it in the place where the animals were, placed in the feeding trough. When Jesus' parents went to the temple to get him circumcised, the offering that they gave was two pigeons. And the two pigeon offering represents the poorest offering that you can possibly give. If you were rich, you were kind of well off, you would give a goat, you would give a lamb. But Mary and Joseph, they gave two pigeons because that's all they could afford, right? He was from a backwater, bayou, redneck, ghetto, banjo-playing place, and he was one of the poorest people in that place. You guys get me? This is just how crazy it was. And not only was he the poorest family in this backward country, backward city, backward place, he was also part of a family that was full of disgrace. Because his, his, his mother, Mary, got knocked up before they actually got Joseph and Mary got married. So either Joseph and Mary, you know, did their wedding thing before, or did the marriage thing, or did the, the, the consumption, consumption oh, whatever that is, uh, the, what's it? Conception. <laughs> Before, before, uh, before they got married, right, which is also a bad thing for the family, or, right, Mary got knocked up by somebody else. But either way, Mary's going to live in disgrace with Joseph for the rest of her life. And God knew that when he engaged to say, I'm going to be born through you, Mary. He knew that. So he chose to be grown, to, to, to be raised in a backward, bayou, ghetto, redneck country, being one of the poorest families in that country, growing up with utter, utter disgrace. That is the Christmas motif. Because why? Because salvation was achieved by humbling, and salvation is received by humbling. Okay? God's glory tends to come down, not on luxury hotels, but on mangers. Not on to... Not onto uh, thrones, but onto crosses. Okay? In, in Isaiah 57, verse 15, this is what it says here. This is two places where God lives right here. Two places where God lives. Isaiah 57, 15. This is such a beautiful picture of Christmas as well. 
57, 15, this is what he says. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You know what, you know what this passage is saying, what Isaiah is saying? God lives in two very specific places, two places where God's power, his might, and his glory dwells. It is in the highest of heavens, which, where you, which you expect it to be, but the second place it dwells is in the humble heart of a man and a woman. A humble heart. What is Christmas about, church? It's about the heavens being open to those who have been humbled. Jesus was humbled at his birth. He was a baby changed, fed by someone else. And if you understand biology, there was a moment in Jesus' life when he was a single-cell organism. Single-cell, right? Jesus was humbled in his life. He came as a carpenter, a wandering preacher. He was humbled in his death. He had no power in death. He was crucified outside the city gates. He didn't come, right, with swords in his hands. He came with nails in his hands. Jesus overcame Death itself through humility. It's the one thing men can never overcome, right? The one thing that men can never defeat is death, and yet Jesus defeated death by humility. Now, what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you? The heavens does not open for the heart that is prideful, for a heart that thinks that they know better, for a heart that says, I got this. The heavens are open for those who have been humbled. By humbling, heaven begins open to you. You got to realize that you are not as big as you think you are. And you're not as great as you think you are. You guys know how sometimes I know that you guys think you're that great. Sometimes I ask you guys to pray. And you guys kind of like, I don't need God to pray for that. And it seems so small. Right? I always got to pray. I'll pray to God when it comes to bigger things, things that are outside of my control. Otherwise, everything else that's small, I'll take care of it myself. That attitude right there is an attitude of pride. You think that you have the faith to pray for something bigger when you don't even have the faith to pray for something smaller? And you know, people always want to pray for world peace. Pray for world peace. You can't even pray that God will meet you in the morning, let alone now praying for world peace. You don't even have the faith that God would actually meet your needs each day, your daily bread. And you want to go out there and start praying for world peace? Don't be, don't be a fool. See, it's your humble spirit where God dwells in. His might and his power does not dwell in those who think that they are smart, powerful, and rich. His might and his power is always used in those who are lowly, those who are lost, those who are broken, those who have lost Everything is in those people that God comes in and he says, I will make my dwelling here. You know why? Because it's in those places that people actually call upon him and trust. Why is it that when you go bankrupt, you see more people coming to God? Why is it that when you see lives dying around you, you see more people reaching out to God? Why is it that you see when relationship gets broken, you see a more of a desire to meet God? Why is it that when you see your reputation going down the drain, 
you lose your job, you lose whatever that you want so badly, that you actually begin to reach out to God more. Because it's in those moments of humility when you recognize all the stuff that I thought I was so good at, everything that I thought I was so in charge of or controlled over, all that power that I thought I possessed, I am nothing. And you reach out to God for help. And in that moment, God says, heaven is open to you. I have business with you. Because you have and understand what I went through. It is in humility that you can defeat the greatest enemy, even death itself. I do not work in those hearts who are prideful. I work in the hearts of those who are contrite before me. Right? What am I saying? Am I saying that you're going to lose your job? No. Right? I'm not saying that you're going to lose your job. I'm not saying that you're going to end up being a laughing stock of your company. I'm not saying that you're going to not get into school you want. I'm not saying that you're going to get passed up for the promotion. I'm not saying that any of that stuff is going to happen to you. But what I am saying is that if it does happen to you, you are willing for those things to happen. That if you want to find your identity in Jesus, if heaven is to be opened up to you, that you are willing for it to happen if it does happen. What is Christmas about? Christmas is about recognizing that Jesus has made the way for God's might, power, and glory to do business with you. You, who are lowly, you, swindlers, cheats, you, who Jacob have wronged anyone possibly, have, have, have done so much in your heart that you know. Yet God says, I have business with you and him through Jesus Christ. What is Christmas about? It's about the heart of humility. Because in humility, then you understand gratefulness. Then you have thankfulness. Then you don't feel entitled to the things around you. You know, sometimes, can I tell you, can I tell you the story of why I, I, I have a thing against Christmas? Right? I remember when I was in high school, I was in high school, I was pagan Christian, I mean, pagan Buddhist, right? And then, like, uh, I was surrounded by these Catholics and Christians all the time, you know? And during Christmas time, do you guys exchange gifts anymore during, during, uh, during school? Do you guys do that anymore? It was like this huge thing that went on when I was in high school about 20 years ago, right? 20 years ago, I was in high school. They did all this gift exchange and stuff during school. And I remember trying to figure out what Christmas is about, trying, trying to understand the heart of Christmas. And I, and I see people exchanging gifts, which is sweet. I thought it was kind of cute, and, you know, exchanging gifts to one another. But what I saw was, you know, I, got, so I sat between these two friends, right? One friend behind me, one friend in front of me. And this guy was passing. He said, hey, can you pass the gift to so-and-so? I was like, yeah, sure. I was passing it. Man, I didn't here, I was like, oh, what, what you get her? You know, and I was looking at it, and he, and he literally just slapped me in the back. I said, that's not for you. I said, whoa, okay, man, calm down, bro. It's just a gift. And I gave it to her, right? And then she was like, oh, oh, I got you a gift too. I just left it at home, right? I was like, really? And she's like, no, I didn't. I forgot his gift. I didn't know he was going to give me a gift. Now I feel obligated to give him a gift. So I just told him that. I was like, oh, this is weird, right? <laughs> this, is, this is a very weird interaction that's happening right here. I, I didn't get it. I, I couldn't understand. I couldn't wrap my, heart, my, my head around it because I kept thinking, by that time I heard, I heard about Jesus. By that time I heard about Jesus a little bit more. And I was like, if this is Christmas, like, where is Jesus in this? Like, I don't, I don't see it. And I'm surrounded by my Christian brothers and sisters of Christian people around me who's trying to show me the picture of Christmas, and I don't see it. And I, and I got slapped in the back. For just you know, looking at a present. I was like, what in the world? Is this a very exclusive thing? Maybe only Christians can do Christmas, right? I don't know. And I realized that. You know why I realized? I realized that the biggest issue when it comes to this season is that instead of coming to it with humble heart, being thankful for the fact that Jesus actually made the way for you, 
We come with a spirit of entitlement, ungratefulness towards God. We try to exchange gifts as a way of showing, hey, I'm giving you a gift because God's given me a gift, but we don't put God in it. And we end up having this kind of mindset like we're feeling obligated to give a gift back. Right? There's this, there's this spirit of give and take, whereas in the scripture, in the Bible, we, what we see is a picture of God giving a gift and asking nothing in return. And so when we, when, we, when we engage in Christmas and we take that whole picture out of it, what it reveals is it reveals a group of sons and daughters of God who have forgotten humility before God, who have forgotten the thankfulness to God, who's forgotten gratefulness towards God, who's forgotten that Jesus Christ himself is the only way in which heaven can actually touch earth. And all we do, laugh and, 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 and dance and talk and cry on New Year's Day when we realize our credit cards are maxed out from all the gifts we bought, right? And then instead of actually being grateful, the season of Christmas, right? If Jesus Christ is the only gift that God has given to us, would it be enough? The answer should be yes. If Jesus Christ is the only gift you've ever, you will ever receive in this lifetime, until the day you take your last breath, would it be enough? And the answer is because he did something that no other man can ever do. He made a way that heaven can touch earth. He did what no other man can do. He defeated death through humility. Not through power, not through might, but through humbleness of means and life. So if my God, your Lord and your Savior, conquered death that way, how odd and how weird is it for you as his children who has been called by his name, given his birthright, to see Christmas as a time of entitlement, ungratefulness, and forgetting him in the midst of it. What is Christmas? Christmas is heaven's being open, right, for those who have been humbled. And so my prayer is this, guys. Would we engage the season with humility? Enjoy the secret Santas. Enjoy the white elephants, enjoy the Christmas parties, enjoy the decoration, enjoy those things. Those are things that brings life and those are things that brings, you know, uh, camaraderie within the community. But do not enjoy them without Jesus Christ as the center of it, as the foundation of it. You would miss the whole point. And you would lose it. And there are so many people out there looking and asking, what's Christmas? And you have the one chance to actually show them what it is about. Right? Don't show them what they already think they know. Show them something even better, greater than that. Let's pray. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name.